So this morning, I want to continue our focus on those five M's that uh, Dr. Burt Downs mentioned to us as a pattern of transformation. And if you look at your message notes, and I have copies of that in the lobby for you, if you want to like to take those and read what I have written, I probably am going to go off script today, I have a lot to share. But uh, the M today is uh, if Jesus came to our church, knocked on our front door, and would come in, what would he ask us to do? He'd ask us to focus on our mission. So Lord, please help us today. Focus on your mission. What do you want us to do? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, I, I want to talk with you uh, about something that I've battled. Oh, children's church, I haven't battled that, but go ahead, go ahead and be dismissed. And I want to sit down with you and just talk to you about this because this is something that I have, I never wanted to be a pastor of a church, I never, much less a Baptist church, because I grew up in a Baptist church and I'm recovering from Baptist church syndrome. <laughs> which is to wear you out and use you, and, but that's not the truth. That's what I experienced as a kid. And so when I went to seminary, I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go to the darkest mission fields. I'll give my body to be burned, but I will never, ever pastor a church. Don't tell him that. It took about five years after seminary to finally convince me that this was his idea. So what I'm sharing with you today is the reasons why I'm a pastor and glad to be a pastor and the reason I'm part of a local church and glad to be here with you. We love you guys, and this is a great church, and I'm, you're just overwhelming with all your wonderful energy and exercise and plans, and hold on, hold on, <laughs> get this together. But uh, I'm, I'm talking to you, if you're online and you're considering coming to a church or not, one-third of the population that's COVID-19 have just walked away from the church altogether. One-third of the church population is, norm is watching online, and then hopefully one-third of the population of the church will come back after COVID. So there's a large audience out there, that two-thirds of you, and maybe you're sitting here today saying, why should I be a part of a local church? And that's the message my title is today is, here's why Jesus' disciples follow him into the local church. I'm not talking about the universal church. I'm talking about the tangible sharing your air with people in this room kind of church where you consider each other. And there's basically, I found out, just two reasons why I'm part of a local church and why I think you should be. Number one is he orders us to do the work through the local church. That's his mandate. Number two, he teaches us how to build the local church, his church. That's the end of my message today. Let's move on towards communion. <laughs> no, I want to go further because this is the mission that Jesus gave us. As he said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you and along with you always to the end of the earth. That's one of his final words, it was his last words, his last wishes, his, this is his legacy. This is what I want you to do as believers. And you'll notice I've broken this passage up into several passages, taking each statement that he said. And the first one is, uh, he has all authority to mandate me and you to be a part of a local church. When I say all authority, I, all, all authority means absolute power. Jesus has risen from the dead. No one else on the planet has ever died in place for my sins. 
No one on the planet has ever risen from the dead, never to die again, and no one on this planet is presently seating at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus has all authority. He has absolute authority over every religion, every founder of every church. He has authority over Muhammad, authority over Confucius, authority over Buddha, authority over Joseph Smith, authority over the Pope, authority over Shintoism, Taoism, any kind of ism you want, every political philosophy. He has, he has authority over president, every king. Doesn't he? He does. He is Lord of all. And one other thing, he's the Lord of climate change. He controlled the seas. Peace be still. Right? He called the fish together in the net. You read the Bible, who is the one in charge of climate change on the planet? It's God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's why there were droughts that caused pestilences and so forth and famines in the land because he orchestrated it. He's the one in charge. No false prophet can tell us when the end of the world is going to be. Jesus says, you don't even know. Only the Father does. So just with that, climate change is under his wheelhouse as well. Absolute authority. And Daniel speaks of the prophecy of the, of the Son of Man coming, and it's mentioned in your message notes, Daniel 7, uh, 13 and 14. He has all authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, all nations, America, China, Russia, any place. And every man and every language worshiped him. And one day, the Bible tells us at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, all authority. See, others talk about the way but Jesus is the way. Others talk about the life, but Jesus is the life. Others try to describe truth, but Jesus is the truth. Consequently, Jesus boldly states that no one comes to the Father but through Him. And that's not being intolerant, that's being truthful. And truth has a definite uh, statement that it's this way, and there's no other, other truth. This is what Jesus said, and he's the Father, and he proclaims that. And so the disciples got that. And so they said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby men must be saved. No other name but Jesus. And so this morning, let's not go any further until you understand that what's most important for you is to place your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins forever. Right now, you can pray to him. Jesus, you are the highest authority. You died in the place of the guilt of my sins. You rose from the dead never to die again, and you're coming back for me, and I ask you to become into my life and be my Savior. Would you pray that right now with me? Online? Invite him into your life as your Savior. Having said that, doesn't he have the authority over me and over you to make you disciple makers for him? Doesn't he? Then what are we to do with that? Well, the disciples understood Jesus' command, and here's what they did next. Do you know what they did? They started local churches. Look at the book of Acts, and you will see that this process of making disciples is done in the laboratory of starting 
churches and building churches up. Local churches. That's what it says. And so it, Jesus said, all, all authority has been given me. Therefore, going on your way, he said, as you're doing this, I want you to build my church and the gates of hell will not uh, overcome it. No. Where's the church to be going? We're supposed to be building our church on the very gates of hell. We're supposed to be besieging the gates of hell and calling people out of that prison. Come out! You can come out. You can be free from your sin and your lifestyle that's so broken. Come on out. We're going to set up camp at the gates of hell. We're not going to retreat into some fortress. In fact, the word ecclesia, which is the word for church, means the called out ones. We are the ones called out to be that salt which preserves this dark world and, and gives flavor to life. We are the ones who are the lights of the world who are to shine in this darkness. We're the called out ones, and a church gathered together is that light set on, on the stand and, and that salt poured out of the salt shaker. It is the local church where this happens. You talk about the local church. Let's just talk a little history first of all. Jesus began his church at Pentecost. Remember in Acts chapter 2? On March the 2nd, 1884, just as electric lights were starting to show up in people's homes here in Oregon, uh, before Oval Wright flew his first plane, eight people gathered together in this area right here, and those eight people started a local church to reach the 700 people of Hillsborough and Washington County beyond. And you know what Bible verse they read to found their church on? Turn to Acts 2.42 to 47. I believe they read all of Acts 2, but especially 2.42 and 47. Here is a picture of what the local church is to be doing. This, I think, was our desire from day one 137 years ago. After Pentecost came and the Spirit came and filled the disciples, the church was born on this day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together, had everything in common selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as had they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The local church is Jesus' plan to evangelize the world. The local church is his method for making disciples. The believers who were there, when Jesus heard him say that, the first thing they did was to plant a church, and that was in Acts chapter 2. And here's a picture of a, health, of a church in its infancy, baby pictures. Don't you like to look at baby pictures? And you think, oh, the potential that's there. This is so wonderful. I love these babies. And then they grow up, and they mess their diapers and everything else. But as you read the book of Acts, you see the local church had lots of problems. There was those two called Ananias and Sapphira. You know what happened to them, don't you, for lying? And then they had problems, cultural, racial issues, uh, where the Greeks and the Hebrew widows were complaining who was getting more food, and so what did they do? They, they formed a, a group of deacons and deaconesses to feed those people. So there were church problems. As you read every letter in the New Testament, they're addressed to local churches, and they were dealing with problems in the local church. I mean, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, whoo, 
That's, that was a flamethrower from Paul about these churches. They had a great future. But as you look at this picture of the local church in Acts 2, 42, 47, all of the elements of the church mission are there. Love God, love people, following Jesus, make disciples. That's our mission. Every church has the same mission, but churches have different visions to accomplish that. This is Jesus' plan. So as you look at the local church and you begin to read about it in the book of Acts, what are the first thing they do? They, they planted the church and they appointed elders. So let's just define what a local church is. It's just not a bunch of people that hang out together as Christians. They have a structure that's led by godly elders, right? I had a hard time with this because I didn't want to be a part of any of this. Leaders, and that's a godly sometimes. In fact, I don't like them sometimes. <laughs> I'm not talking about the present company, of course. But my job as a, your intentional interim pastor is clearly defined in Acts in Titus 1.5. In fact, some people call what I do a Titus ministry. The reason I left you in Crete, that terrible island, was that you might straighten out what needs to be straightened out and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So I'm here to kind of straighten out what needs to be straightened out. All the congestion that I see going on to align it together so we march together in the same direction. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do it as you submit to the Holy Spirit as your godly elders lead you with their vision and direction. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm doing and that's why I'm here. And I would have never dreamed that when I went to seminary that I would wind up being a pastor. Never ever. But the Lord has His way. So as you look at the Bible, you'll see, you studied the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, and chapters 2 and 3 are addressed to what? Local churches, all within a circuit of each other. You could probably, if you walk, you could probably hit each church in a couple of days. They were close, each had the same mission, but they had different visions, and the Lord Jesus Christ held each local church accountable for their, for their witness, for their work, for their ministry. It's been the local church. It's always been the local church, and churches fail. And you can see that's what Jesus said. If you don't do this, I'm going to take my candlestick from you. As I said, I'm talking to you guys who have been in churches like me, who've grown up in churches that don't exhibit Acts 2, 42, 47. It says, you know, I'd rather be working at a camp where I can see people come to Christ all the time instead of putting up with people that want to do whatever they're doing. They call it church. I'm talking with you. And I'm saying, understand that Jesus has the authority to mandate me and you to be a part of a local church, to come and participate with that. As Jesus goes on in his, what we call the Great Commission, that's not what you make after you have great sales of the real estate property, commission. This is the, the mission. He's commissioning us and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some churches actually dunk you three times, and you still survive that drowning attempt. I know it's the families do that. And they dunk you first. But the point is, is that baptism is the idea of, of identifying with that. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so I like what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, page 171. It's in your message notes. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. Right? That's why we are here at Lincoln and Second. 
to draw people to Christ and to make them to little Christ. I'm indebted to uh, the, the man who was the chair of our Christian Ed Department, who was my thesis advisor at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Gene Getz, wrote a book called Sharpening the Focus of the Church. And he just, with great clarity, back in 74, just nailed this to my brain, my frontal tattoo, as why the church exists. I had to fight with this all the time. It exists, first of all, for evangelism, and secondly, for edification. Evangelism in the world, go make disciples, and baptizing, as a, I mean, edifying as a gathered community. Two purposes. Uh, when you ask, why does the church exist in the world? And that's a good question to ask. We need to get the, the boat in the water without getting the water in the boat. We need to get out there, and it's to evangelize. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So a primary mandate as a local church is we need to be leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, and baptizing them in the name of the Father. And then that's the word what may, I'm going to say, let's use this as our nomenclature for this church. When we say make disciples, we mean evangelism. Evangelism, it comes from the word to uh, speak the good word. It's the gospel. And we are to go out and speak the good word of the gospel to people who need to hear it. We need to be out among them, where you work, where you live, across the street, uh, who, who you have uh, play golf with or watch football games with. You are purposed on, to go out and share the gospel in a loving, kind way. We've talked about this in the world. I will make you fishers of men. That's what he wants to make you. He wants to transform you that you will indeed show the Lord, hear people that I've planted seed, watered, and you gave the increase in your time. That's the word evangelize. So you read the book of Acts and people that came to faith in Christ up until chapter 11 were called disciples. It wasn't until Antioch they were called Christians, which means little Christ. Like C.S. Lewis said, little Christ, like Christ. So why does the church then secondly uh, gather as a community? And that is to uh, edify. The basic laboratory for knowing God is right where you're sitting today. On Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, in your small groups, that's the basic laboratory for knowing God. To be alone, to be a spiritual hermit, is to miss God's very best for you. And I had to, I've struggled with this, and I think that's uh, someone else quote, uh, it'll come to me. Uh, here's what Jesus said are the simple, essential steps for edification, baptizing. Now, that's not just putting people in water or dipping water on them. The actual word means to identify with. You're identifying, with, it's an initiation. You heard the, the gang say, blood in, blood out. No, baptism in and rapture out. But when you are baptized, you identify yourself with the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, talks about being the Holy Spirit putting you to the body of Christ. That's when you come forward and baptized. To me, it means you can count on me as a member of this church. I'm here to be an active member of this body of Christ. That's what it means to me. Yes, I placed my faith in Christ, and he put me into the body of Christ as his member. You're already members of the body of Christ. Now, let's act like it. Uh, that's baptism. It's a ceremony of, of initiation. It's a ceremony of, of showing what Jesus did with me when he saved me, he buried me, and he raised me from the dead. Thank God for that. And then Jesus says, we are to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
There's a lot of commands in here in the New Testament. There's a lot, of, and I forget them. Don't you? My brain is like a sieve. Water in, water out. I got to keep remembering this stuff. And, and you need to be reinforced with other people saying, here's what the Bible says here. Oh, I forgot that. And let's encourage each other as we do this. And so the word teaching them to be a follower like Christ, so on your lifelong journey, wherever he sends you, you know that you are to be a disciple maker. And then you're to be a part of a local church as that. And a disciple here in this regard is a learner. Someone who has, I don't, have, I don't know it all. I think someone said it's after you know it all that you begin to finally learn stuff. And, but in the Greek language, it means, are you teachable? And someone said, people are what they're taught. And I say, well, maybe so. People are what they're willing to learn. What you're willing to read and think about and process. And the teacher gives you the information, not just for information, but for transformation, doesn't he? That's a learner. How did you learn to ride a bike? Oh, I read a manual. Have you ever been on a bike? No, I've never been on a bike. But I know all about it. Oh, I'm a fisherman. So how are you a fisherman? I bought all the fishing equipment. Here's all the, here's all the lures. Here's, I've, read, I've seen videos on YouTube. Have you ever gone fishing? No. Then why are you calling yourself a fisherman? I know all about it. A learner is one who actually practices it. And so to me, a disciple is an apprentice. Someone in a trade knows what that it's all about, right? You need to go and learn how to put electrical currents together so you don't shock yourself or kill people or burn houses down. You're, you are an apprentice and you're learning from someone who's gone on before you and practicing that skill. And that is being a disciple. Not just by listening. When Jesus goes, plies his trade, as it were, and he calls us to go to his disciple-making school to learn a trade of making disciples. That's what this church is to be. Driving down here today, I was thinking, you know, when my car has a problem, I go to the shop and they fix it. And I get in it and I drive it again. Some people think that when you have a problem, you go to a church and you stay there forever. If, I, if my car is still at the shop, I would have to walk today. If, when you go to a, your, the church on a weekly basis, someone said this morning, it makes all the difference in the world. I go to be repaired, helped, strengthened, so I don't stay in the shop, that I can go out and make disciples. That's what the church is about, to practice the trade. And 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, uh, Paul said to Peter, I, I want you to entrust to reliable people what I've entrusted to you, that you might make disciples of them. That's what we're going to be doing to your children, to your grandkids, the people you live with. You know this. You all know this. I knew it. I went to seminary and knew it. I said, no, never, never a church. And then the Lord began to say, how can you, how can you keep these commandments? Here's Jesus' curriculum that we need to keep. Let's, for example, take the, the one another's. I'm way behind here. Help me out someday. They have a screen down there so I can see what I'm doing. Uh, Jesus' curriculum, the one another classes. If you just took one class and looked at all the one another's in the New Testament and started to learn how to practice those, I guarantee you, you would attract people to Jesus Christ. Encourage one another daily, lest you be deceived by the deceitfulness the uh, of, your, of your sin and the hardness of your heart. Care for one another. Love one another. As Jesus taught us in, the, in his first class, in John 13, uh, 13, 35, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's what I am. 
Now that I've washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. That's the, that's the posture of a servant. And you have to be physically present to do that. Not online, not criticizing the church and leader, because I tried that, didn't work. I have to be in the midst of people with dirty feet, ugly dirty feet, and wash their dirty feet. And then I got to let them wash my feet, which are dirtier and uglier than theirs. That's what the local church is. This transparency, you know, the Alcoholic Anonymous was, was started by two pastors who practiced these very things, and then it was uh, viscerated with the gospel, so it became AA. But that's exactly this transparency. Hi, I'm Mike, and I'm a sinner. This is who I am, and I need help. That's right out of the Bible. And then here's another part of that uh, course on one another's. A new command I give you, love one another. Not wish you thoughts, but it's practical, physical involvement, investment, sacrifice, laying aside things that are important to you that you might care for the people sitting next to you, behind you, behind you, all around you. As I loved you, so should you love one another. Here is the greatest witness that the world will ever see. A church that loves one another in unity. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Instead, what we see in churches today is tragic. If you're not a part of a local church, I don't blame you. But we've got to take our eyes off what the bride has been so ravaged by the evil one. And people in the body of Christ are sinners just like you and me. But Jesus commands us that we need to get in the battle, get on the front lines, doesn't he? And here's a couple of applications from uh, those two commands. Uh, don't practice partiality. Partiality, you see somebody come in who's not dressed as nicely as you, you sit on the back row. But, oh, you're rich and wealthy? Sit up here with me. I'll take care of you, right? That's called partiality. Oh, you have a different skin color than I do? Maybe you should go someplace else. That's partiality. That's judging people by their, by their skin color. If you want to see more about that, you can look in Galatians 3, 26, 28. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave or free, right? It includes all races, all cultures, all socioeconomic levels. In Christ, yes, we still have our identities. I'm still a male. You're still a female. You're still, you're still a Hispanic. You're still a, a, a whitey. But in Christ, we all have equal access to the body of Christ and to one another. Practice the one another's. Another one that I had trouble with is follow your church leaders. <whistles> Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, it actually says that obey those that are over you because they have to give an account. That's why it's a burden for me. I have to give an account for what I'm saying right now, that if you're out there and you're a solo Christian, you're missing God's best for you. I did for so many years. But there has to be that organizational connections with the body, with the head, so that they give you the direction instead of running around doing their own thing in their own way. That looks like the book of Judges, doesn't it? Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Anarchists in some ways. And then I also see in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us not forsake worshiping together, as is the habit of some, but let us consider one another. You know what consider means? 
I take off my mask, you take off your mask, I look you in the eyeball. How are you doing today, spiritually? How can I pray for you? How can you pray for me? I don't want you to know that. (laughs) But to consider one another, that you might stimulate each other to love and good deeds. You come to church to be stimulated, to be cared for, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and for you to do the same thing to others. That's the local church that has a a tremendous ministry of witnessing to the world that we live in, where we do that and encourage each other. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We'll talk about that next week. Here's another major study course that I invite you to do is what we call the Upper Room Discourse, John 15 through 17. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Abide in Christ and Christ in you. And that's where you bear much fruit. And you start reading uh, chapter 14 and 15 and 16, and you begin to see Holy Spirit's working in your life. What a great study that, that puts you in connection with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But how about classes like that? You come to church for those classes. And Jesus then says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But unlike believers who have eternal life, local churches don't. The churches in the book of Revelation are not there anymore. Their lampstand was taken away. They became overcome by culture. And many churches in America are dying every Sunday, especially with COVID-19 being such a hit on us. The local church is Jesus' factory to make disciples. So would you like to come back to my outbuilding, to the shop, and let's make a disciple? That's what Jesus says. I have some action steps for us to think about this morning. Again, I'm sitting down talking to you as friend to friend because I'm one who struggles with it, still do. You saw that joke, you know, the wife says, honey, it's time to get up on Sunday morning. No, honey, you need to get up this morning because, you know, it's, you need to do this. And finally, the fourth time, why do I have to get up and go to church? Because you're the pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know that joke. First thing is stop believing this statement. I don't need the local church. Jesus, yes, the local church, no. The local church is the bride of Christ. And there's lots of reasons that we say, Jesus, yes, church, no, because like me, you have been hurt in local churches. You've had bosses, you've had dictators, you've had deceivers, you've had hypocrites, not just in this church. I'm talking about every church I've been in. They're all out there. And this, this, a local church is like a rock tumbler. You take all these ugly rocks that you find on the beach, you throw them in this this barrel that turns around, and you put acid in there and sand, and you let it grind for how long? That's the local church. Eventually, you open it up, and those ugly rocks you found on the beach are glorious agates, right? You rock hounds know what I'm talking about. The local church is like that. Iron sharpens iron, and you chip off a piece of me that I think is so important, but needs to be chipped off because it's not Christ-like. And you need to be a part of that same involvement as well. As C.S. Lewis said, I'll say it again, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ and to make them little Christ. But many people seem to act like their church exists for nothing else but to draw people to the church to make them donors and volunteers. As a pastor, sometimes I look at somebody, wonder what they can do for us, wonder what they can give. Forgive me, Lord. We're to make them like Christ, not to build up our little empire 
or our little church. Forgive us for doing that. There's an important difference uh, between asking them to come to us so that we can build a church or asking us to go to them so that we can change the world. This church's greatest weakness, as we did an assessment in 2018, is we're not going to them. We're asking them to come to us. It's like a farmer who opens the barn doors and says, okay, crops, come on in. Why aren't the crops coming in? You got to plant the seeds. You got to water. <laughs> anyway, got to do it. And, and so we need to not do church as a club, but as a mission station. So I'm reading the history of this church, glorious history. I'm loving it. And you know what I see this church records? A building program. This pastor came this time, this pastor left there. These people had a Model T, they brought to, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm looking where, how many people came to faith in Christ? Because if, if Jesus is going to write the church history, it would be like the book of Acts. The first Sunday, 3,000 people came to faith in Christ and added to them daily those being saved. So the annual report, the first page you open up, should be a number. Zero? If our job, if our Businesses to make disciples, how many were made? But that's just what, how churches do it. And that's why people avoid churches like the plague. They've been hurt, abused, misused, uh, beat on, whatever you want to call it. But still, friends, I'm here to tell you, as a pastor of 50 years, it's Jesus' way of making disciples and making me a disciple. There's no other way. We must engage. We must commit. We must turn off the TV on Sunday morning and show up here and, and make disciples because people here need you here. They need you to help them. And you need to be here to help them. Right? Right. Not to make volunteers and get more donors. Ray Steadman used to say this. I love it. Talking about the problems in the church. To dwell above... With saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, brother, that's another story. <laughs> it is. It always has been that way in every, you read the letters in the New Testament, and we're not immune. We're just people. We need to assume good faith in people, but we have sin natures. And Satan is attacking us. The world is alluring us away. And we need to say, that's the way it is. Let's just jump in and do things biblically. So what about our church? We need to be a healthy environment that produces healthy disciples who go out and make disciples. So let me just make this clear based on what the Lord has taught me and what I've seen and studied the Scriptures over these years. You wanna, do, you know, do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Be an active, involved, committed, serving member of a local church. That's God's will for my life. It's God's will for every Christian. Based on what Jesus commands us, based on what the book of Acts shows us, can you really follow Jesus and not be serving in your local church? Is Sunday a day of, well, let's see, this morning, shall we watch the football game, or shall we go to the beach, or shall we go skiing, or 
it's too late to go see him. Let's go to church. Is it Sunday yet? I can't wait to come to church. I would hope, and I know a couple of churches in, in this area, where there's a, there is a traffic jam trying to get into their church. They have ushers out there directing traffic between services because they're teaching the Bible and people are growing. Sunday morning should be the busiest traffic day in America with all the churches, right? That's not this casual attitude about church. Some people, Christians want a church that's like a cruise ship. There we go. You want you hire us a staff that can feed you, take care of you, entertain you, train you, and you go from port to port, and you go in at the ports of call and enjoy all the trinkets of that country, but you don't go inland where the real needs are. Is that what you think the local church is supposed to be, a cruise ship? Or do you want it to be like a mercy ship? And they go from port to port, and they go out, and they find the people that are in deep need physically and help them and serve them. Which ship do you think our church should be like? Which church do you want to be a part of? Thank you, mercy ship. I'm hoping somebody will join me because I'm on that boat. And that's where, we, that's where we're on the fellowship boat, okay? Jesus commands us to be obey him in all that he does. Which ship would you choose? So you see in your message notes, I wrote this down. I'm going to go through this as quickly as I possibly can, but also slowly so you get it. This is from a gospel tract by Stephen Bly, American Tract Society. It's a great one to give. Why do I need to belong to to the local church. And frankly, this is what I read when I was struggling with me doing what I'm doing in a church. And the first thing that's written down, we need to belong to a local church because it's a family reunion. Welcome. You know, when we have family reunions, do we have people we love to be with and enjoy and, and connect with again? And I haven't seen you in a long time. How's it going, Susie or aunt or whatever? Who is my family? Jesus said, it's those those who do my will are my family. All authority given to me as you're going make disciples. Those are my family. The local church should be a family like that. We don't pray my father. We pray our father. Right? And that Lord's prayer, it only makes sense in connection with people in the body of Christ. In the kingdom of God together. We can't do this alone disconnected. The second thing is we need to belong to the local church because it's a victory celebration. You know, we have church on Sunday mornings. That's the first day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead the first day of the week. We won! He's in heaven. <laughs> he rose from the dead and we're going to join him someday. Celebrate! That's why we like to sing songs that are joyful and upbeat because this is not a funeral. This is a festive event. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. Let's get some drummers here. Lord, send some drummers to pray for us, please. Join us in the worship team. And let's have a happy celebration because we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And no one else on the planet has ever done this. And he's the winner. And we're on his team. Enough of that. We need to join the Blunkville Church because it's a billboard. By what we do, how we love, how we care, shows who we really are as believers. This tangible, physical presence. The universal church, there's churches in Hawaii that do this, there's churches in Romania that do this, but those neighbors see 
Jesus by the local church. It's in their neighborhood, by how we reach out to them and love them and care for them. It's a billboard. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. I need to belong to the local church because I'm a vital part of the body. That's right. And baptized, it says you're placed into the body of Christ. You're now a member, and each member has a spiritual gift, and each member needs to be doing his part. My question is, what is your part? I think Ramsey says every dollar has a name on it, and I think every believer has a spiritual gift in them. Every person has to have a significant ministry using your giftedness to serve one another and to serve the world. What is it? And my job as your pastor is to equip one another to do works of service. And the word equip is actually used of preparing a net, tying it together, connecting. So when you throw the net out there, the holes are not too big and you can actually catch fish. I'm to connect you one another so you work together. It's also used of, of, of setting broken bones. It's a, it's a medical term as well. And as a pastor, I'm to equip you for one purpose, works of service. Not to entertain, as Ezekiel was was uh, trying, was doing, not on purpose. People said, you, you like to hear me sing these beautiful songs, but nothing's changing. Well, the pastor is to say, you are being equipped to do works. Be available to be equipped. Be willing to be equipped. Be an apprentice to be equipped and do it. This is not my idea. I'm reading it right here. Uh, what part of you are in the body? We need to belong to the local church because it is a refuge. It is a place to come like a broken car to be repaired so we can go out again. It is a place to come where you're worn out or tired and you say, Lord, I need prayer. Can somebody join me in prayer and help me out? Be transparent and talk about that. And, and, and you also keep your eyes out. Keep the arrows pointed outward. Are there people that are here at church today that need me to come alongside them instead of just my little four people that I talk to all the time? This new person maybe need me to reach out to them and come alongside and say, can I sit with you? Can we go out to the meal together? How can I help you? They're coming here to be rescued. In this broken, harsh, cruel, satanic world of evil, this is a safe place. Only if Christians look beyond your own little group, have your faces looking out towards the street instead of inside to each other, and welcome people, and bring them with you, and care for them, and sit with them, and follow up with them. This is your job to do We need to belong to the Lord's church because it's a life-giving station. This is where we deploy our lifeboats out there into the rough sea. I'll show you a video someday about that. Instead of being a club that just, you know, we, we celebrate our life-giving ministries in the past, we need to have our lifeboats ready to go and ready to go out and rescue people in the drowning seas. Deploy. And we need to belong to a local church to celebrate. It's a memorial service. And then we come to that this morning right now at this table. This is Veterans Day. And some veterans may even know people who did this very thing. They're on the front lines, a grenade is thrown right in front of them, and your buddy jumped on the grenade and took all of that and died for you. Would you not celebrate them? Would you not have a memorial service for them? Yes? yes. Amen? How much more and Jesus Christ jumped on this grenade of evil and sin that has captured us and paid the price for us. And we come today to remember his sacrifice and to honor him. Oh, Father God, today would you indeed, 
let us remember how much your son loves us and cares for us. That we may honor you for your death as we take this communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.